Welcome back to the Value Driven Investor Podcast, where we forge value-driven investors on a mission to live life on their terms. No matter where you have come from or where you are going, becoming a value-driven investor is in all our best interests because becoming financially free allows us to focus on what matters most, fulfilling our purpose. Our community of value-driven investors is committed to showing you the way. With the support of this community, you are sure to reach your goals. For all of us in the value-driven investor community, there is no greater gift than the gift of giving. Because together, anything is possible. Today, I have the privilege of talking with my buddy, Bob Grant. But you know what's best about today is that my buddy, Bob Grant, is definitely living life on his terms because he's sitting in Hawaii with his Hawaii 5.0 shirt on while I have a sweater in Minnesota, and I think it's like 10 degrees. So, Grando, how's Hawaii treating you, buddy? It's going great, man. It's, uh, it's early here, but it's beautiful. The sun's out already, and it's uh, the waves are crashing, so I don't know if there's a better way to start the day. I know, I can hear the waves crashing. So. <laughs> you bastard. You, you can probably be hearing this. There's a guy paddleboarding right out in the water there, which I'd like to do that next. That's awesome, but man. Yeah. yeah, you. I mean, you, you love to take your vacations. What is it, like at least maybe once a month or once a quarter, um, you're going someplace, right? We're, we're trying to shoot for every other month. Um, but, you know, smaller vacations too, you know, like just trips to Arizona and stuff like that. But probably Hawaii a couple times a year because we like coming here. Um, but really, we haven't been able to travel internationally <clears throat> because of COVID. So, you know, over this year, things kind of ramp back up. We'll probably do that. And that's really what Shelly really loves to do is travel internationally. So, um, and well, I yeah, where did you guys get married? Uh, we got married in Bali. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that was cool. Most extravagant wedding of my life. <laughs> so, my first wedding i was really young my second wedding was pretty awesome so uh, well pretty hey you do so. have a wedding planner for a wife yeah, so yeah, it, it better help. be pretty so, awesome yeah and the cost was like a fraction of what you would have done you know if she were to plan that same wedding here it's crazy so that's a cool thing about that's awesome Grando. You know? well i'm excited for you I'm, I'm glad thank you for coming on today because i think we have a really good topic and uh and i know you're you're trying to relax so let's get on with it the big topic today, so we're on part three of your contractor, of contractors, you know, and today we're going to talk about how do I structure my contractor relationship. Uh, last week, we talked about how do I um, create a relationship? How do I find a contractor? I think that we gave you guys a lot of really good insight in part two about where to look, uh, whether you go to the pro desk at Home Depot or you go on a Google search or like we said you know, odds are you're going to find your best contractor from a, a referral from someone that you know or that you can trust. Um, but I think the meat and potatoes last week was really a deep dive in how do you interview that contractor? How do you really know if you're working with the right person? So if you didn't listen to uh, part two on contractors last week, I definitely recommend that you do that. Now this week, yeah. we're going to start talking about how do I structure my contractor relationship? So you obviously have vetted a contractor and now you're like, okay, this is the guy I'm going to give a shot to. And so now how am I going to structure that relationship with him? I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet. We're just going to talk about this today because I think it's very detailed. Now, Bob and I, this is the beauty of having a podcast with another guy who is doing things just a little bit differently than I'm doing it. Um, Grand is, looks at it and he has his own general contractor license. I do not have a general contractor license. 
Grand can go out and actually build a house on his own. I cannot. I'm dependent on a partnership or my contractor to build the property. So there's going to be three different topics that we're going to talk about, three different ways you can structure it. Now, I might be talking and we might be talking about three different ways to structure this. There could be 50 different ways to structure this, but I don't want to get too deep into the weeds because I just think it comes down to how you want to run your business and what are your goals. So the three things that we're going to talk about, the three ways that I want to talk about structuring a relationship would be number one, the way that I do it, which is a partnership. And so I'm going to go into how I structure my partnership with my um, general contractor builder, because again, I'm a developer. I do not have a GC license. I cannot literally build a house for myself. I have to have a relationship with a general contractor builder. So I have a partnership. I've chosen to do that. The next one is a fee for service. Now, because I'm a developer, yes, I can hire a builder and I can say, give me a bid on what you think this will cost. He gives me a bid and then I hire them and say, okay, I will pay you $100,000 to do this job. Now, there's a risk reward because for me, if it costs more than the hundred grand, well then supposedly the builder is going to have to eat that fee. Now, I'm gonna tell you that it doesn't always work out like that, but that's the beauty of if I go fee for service is that I know I have a fixed bid and the builder knows that if he didn't bid it right, he might not make much money. So that's a fee right. for service. And then you have an employee structure where you own a company, you have your GC license, you own a building company, you have an entity, and you're hiring people that work underneath your umbrella as employees. Um, now, Bob runs a little bit of a, a hybrid between like having his own company, which Bob, I want you to tell, tell, tell a story, but having his own company and then outsourcing for labor. So today's conversation is right. going to get interesting because... I'm really curious to know about how Bob's structure set up. And I think Bob might be interested to know exactly how my structure set up. So I'm going to kick it off with the partnership structure. So again, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've tried the fee for service. I've never jumped out on my own and became a general contractor and, or wanted to build a business um, where I was a general contractor slash builder and had that brand and then would hire employees underneath me. Now, why? You might ask why. Why would you want to have a partnership instead of have your own business, build your own brand? And you know what? That's a great question because I've been asking myself that same question for a long, long time. And the number one reason I haven't jumped out of the plane on that is because I don't really want to be a builder. Number one, because I don't want to take on the liability. There's a lot of liability when you're a builder. Number one, you have a ton of insurance. Insurance as a builder is expensive. Number two, you have the liability of employees and payroll and having to be there every single day to make sure that your guys that are on your crew are, are busy. Because if they're not busy and you're not keeping them busy, they aren't getting paid usually. And now they're sitting at home unemployed. And I, that's a big, you know, that's a big weight to bear. Um, and then number three is I a general contractor. When I think about Tim, if you had your general contractor's license, how exciting would that be for you? And it just doesn't get me excited at all. So those are the biggest reasons. But but what does get me excited and that I feel like I'm missing out a little bit on is I love to build companies with a brand. And so what I've done is I've had to kind of swallow my pride. And I have literally built the brand for my partner, ehrconstruction.com. If you go to that webpage, we, this is how tight though my relationship with, his, with him is because I'm literally the face of his company. 
And he's cool with it. And the reason he's cool with it is because he doesn't want to do any of the stuff that I'm willing to do when it comes to creating content and, and yeah. having people understand, well, what product can you deliver? So I've taken that burden from him. He doesn't have to worry about being the brand awareness guy, being the guy on camera because we do a lot of camera stuff, being the guy that's trying to figure out how do we market all this stuff. He just gets to do what he loves to do, which is building. I don't want to build. He wants to build. Right. I don't want to build. So that's part of the reasons why I'm picking the partnership. Now, how does my partnership work? I'm the developer, and then my partner, Chris, has his general contractor license, and he's the general contractor. Now, we have a contract. So Chris comes to me. I say, Chris, here's what I want to build. Chris then bids out that build. He provides a sworn, um, and he pr provides specs and plans. I then say, okay, you know what? I agree that you know you will be able to build this out for call it three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and so then we go to contract. And so between my company called Ground Up Development and his company called EHR Construction, we have an agreement that EHR Construction will build this structure at this price on behalf of Ground Up Development. And then what happens is is that we have to get financing. So there's a construction loan. Well, because I'm the developer, I'm the one that carries the construction loan. Chris doesn't have to worry about the construction loan financing. And so we go to contract, Chris builds the property for me, pulling draws out of my line that I have with the bank. And then once the structure's built, uh, we do have it in the contract that we, there is some funds that he has to keep just because at the end of the day, I don't want him to have all the money that all the costs that he, uh, he wants out of the project or that he stated he needs to get out of the project because I need to have a way, and this isn't because of trust, this is just business. I need to have a way to keep him going back to the house because when I'm building these projects, especially I'm on the high end at 1.4, 1.5, the customer has a very high standard. And so I have to know that he's going to go back into that house. Now I know because we're buddies and I, I trust him. Like he's my wife almost. Um, so I know he'll go back. But if you're in a business relationship, you need to have a little bit of leverage to make sure that that person will go back and will service that client, you know, for the duration, especially if you're doing new construction. Um, so what happens is, is that I keep a little bit of, of the cost to build until we actually sell the product. So Chris will do, he has a warranty on the, on the product. So if we're doing new construction, he has to have a one, two and 10 warranty on the project. So he has to stand behind that. That's another liability that I don't take on because I'm the developer and he's the builder. He has to take that on. Um, so what happens after the house is built, then Chris is still in the game. And see, that's part of the reason I like the partnership is because if I were to do a fee for service and Chris builds that house, I have no choice because the contract would state that once he's done his job, which is build that structure, I owe him what I owe him. And then I'm taking on the liability of whatever that house might sell for. Now, if it sells for less than what I cost me to get it built, then I lose. If it sells for significantly more, then I win. Um, and I have done that before and, and it can work and it can work really well where I would tell you that, you know, my partnership, why do, why have I gone into this 50, 50 partnership? Um, because when Chris and I go into a project and he has built the project product and now I am marketing the product, I know that I have my guy, my general contractor to answer questions, to help through the build process. I'm not just left there hanging because I'll tell you this once. And I've learned this the hard way. Once you pay your general contractor, they're, they're checking out, like they're, they're moving on. But when I have a 50, 50 yeah. partnership, he is in the game until he gets paid. I mean, it's just, it's human instinct. 
And so that's the beauty is that how our contract's set up is that he gets paid the majority, I would say 95% of the cost to build. So he's not really having to pull too much out of his own pocket um, to build the structure. But then what happens is, is that he doesn't get paid like a profit until that uh, project sells. So if we sell for a profit, he gets a profit. And unfortunately there has been, I think twice in our 12 year career that he and I both had to write a check. So think about that. Think about if you're the builder and you put in all the time to build it and you have to write a check because you're on a 50-50 partnership with your partner because you didn't sell the house for what you thought. Now for me, that's great. For, for both of us, that sucks. But for me, it's great because I have someone that's literally side by side that's going to take the risk with me and is also going to bear the reward. Because the catch 22 to that is that when we have a killer deal that I find and we make a pile, sure, we all, human instinct, gosh, if I would have done fee for service for this, oh my gosh, that check I would have gotten would have been phenomenal, right? But But then I think back, I say, yeah, but remember that one time when it didn't work out the way you wanted or remember that time or remember when he had your back here, remember? And so it really come down to, you know what? I don't ever say that to myself. When I'm in this 50-50 partnership, I don't ever question how I have it structured because I always say, you know what? I would rather pay whatever it was to in that profit because I got a guy that's got my back no matter what happens. And so that to me has been something that you have to train your mind to think that way that you know what, the partnership is more important than the dollars. Because if you really are after the dollars, then I would say that's where you wanna maybe take the chance and do fee-for-service. Because yeah. there's plenty of times where I would've made a lot more money if I had a fee-for-service structure than if I had my partnership structure. But there's also plenty of times where I could've gotten in, in really big trouble. So that's a little bit, Grando, do you have any qu other questions about my partnership structure? Because I think that'll be the best way to kind of have this conversation back and yeah, forth. Yeah, no, a uh, few questions. Um, one right off the top there, just reiterating, you know, I think going for extra profits every single time, there's always that like, oh God, I could make more money. But you should always lock in what you want to make and then not care above that. You know, like if I got extra money on a, the list of a sale because the bids drew, you know, offers drove it over, that's awesome, you know, but I don't count on it and I can go right back to that sell price and I still feel great about it. You know, where people tend to want that extra profit does not matter to me, you know, and I, kind of this, it's a good philosophy to take um, or a good stance to take. So you're not always chasing profits, right? And I think Warren Buffett says it like he doesn't lose, he wouldn't lose an extra night or wouldn't lose any sleep over trying to get extra profits, right? He just locks in what he wants. So that's a beautiful thing that you said right there that I think is really important for investors to understand. Um, so your partnership, though, um, from what I'm understanding, so it's basically it's a business partnership that every single time you and uh, Chris come together and sign a contract and that forms the partnership. You're not you, you don't own any percentage of his company, but you're still the face of his company. Yeah. So you basically have to I understand where you're coming from, because like you're helping build his brand and his company. They can go on for years and years and years and and you never can tell tomorrow you know what where are things going to be in a relationship and maybe he spins off and takes a different direction you know or finds somebody else and he's like hey thanks tim this is you know not working out what holds that together is it just the relationship of friendship i i control i so i because i'm the tech guy and again another you know builders general contractors they do not really they're not really super technology 
they like to build. Yeah. Like, so you just, you have to understand the mindset of a builder. A builder likes to build houses, structures. He doesn't like to, they're usually not very good at running businesses and they're usually not super great at managing money. Um, and those are things that I really bring to, to Chris because that those are things that I'm good at running businesses, managing money and marketing and technology. Cause I have a MIS computer programming degree. So what I've done is how do I control that is because the website is under my control. Every piece of content I've created, I put it on there. I manage that website. I, he, and he's totally cool with it. He's like, yep, that's your baby. You take it, you run with it because I, I don't even know what to do with it. Does does that generate him business outside of what you guys do together? A lot of it. I mean, it must. And I, and, and, and you know what? Here's the thing. I have to be cool with that because yeah. yeah, will they? Will we get? When we now have this brand, will people reach out and say, "Hey, I uh, I don't want to build this house, or it's something smaller. I want somebody to remodel a kitchen, or I want somebody to do a bathroom, or I want somebody to finish my basement." Yep. And 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 do I ask for anything? Nope. And why? Wow. Because the flip side to that coin is this. You know, I can, I am a real estate agent, so I want to stay focused on being a real estate agent and an investor. I don't want to focus on being a builder. So I have to understand that if somebody wants a kitchen done and that's not something I'm a part of, well, then he's the builder and I'm not the builder. But the flip side to the coin is this, is that if somebody wants to list their house and then, and then work with us and do a build, Mm -hmm. I get to listing side. Right. Okay. So So I get to list their house. I get to do the real estate services because that's what I do. And he doesn't get a part of that. Even though he is a licensed agent, we've come to that agreement that, you know, we got to, we got to have a line in the sand here. Like if it's real estate services, I do real estate services. If it's construction services, you do construction services. And so it's worked out well. Now there's been a little give and take in certain situations. You know, he might say, Hey, you know what, man, thank you for giving me that job. I mean, I just literally got him a $250,000 job the other day. And, uh, you know, he's going to say, Hey man, you deserve you know, compensation as a, my sales guy for something like that, you know, so there's a little bit of that on bigger deals when I get them bigger projects like that. But if it's a bathroom or if it's like a kitchen and it's like a $50,000 project, I'm like, Chris, I don't, don't worry about it. What, what, uh, what's interesting to me, like, so kind of where me putting myself in the contractor, like basically saying, if I'm Chris, you know, why, you know, why does this relationship work well for me? And I'm sitting there thinking like, yeah, if I just get cost, you know, on all my employees and all the materials and I'm building something and then we do the draw request and at the end I have a shot at the profits, you know, I mean, that that seems like a really good plan. So he wouldn't, I always think like contractors would tend to elevate the cost and then hit you with that. And then in the end, they still get the profit, right? But it sounds like, you know, he understands the relationship really well, which is um, something that you'd, you'd have to really develop over time with another contractor. Um, to be able to get it to where you can get to that level so you can be like, I need costs on everything. We have to have transparency on these costs. You got to estimate it out. And I now you know the numbers because you're a developer. You've done it a lot of time. So you would know if something's elevated or something were jacked up. And But your relationship's strong enough to where that's not going to happen because you have a pretty good relationship, which is the most important part of almost anything that you're doing, right? Relationship. Well, um, and I think um, you nailed it. Like yeah. Warren Buffett said, you know, focus on the profit. So I, I look at it and I say, you know, am I make because he knows that if I'm not making my ROI that I need and if this yeah, doesn't make sense, I'll do walk, you know, because I can go find another builder. And and so I bring a lot to the table. And, and if I walk away from him, that's I mean, I would tell you that that would be very painful because from a financial perspective, like like I said, I just handed him a $250,000 remodel. I have his website going, leads come in to his website 
that he gets the benefit from at my expense. I don't even, char I charge a marketing fee on each deal, but it's yeah. nominal compared to what I'm doing to help grow his brand and whatnot. So that's part of it too, yeah. is like, does he want to burn? He has to live with that. And see, this is the beauty of it is like, you know what, you guys, it's human nature. Like, yeah, could he be inflating the numbers? Yes. But then my return on investment goes down. Then I don't want to do projects anymore. And I would tell you that, you know, when we do six, seven projects a year, I mean, sure, he does some other work, but he's working on what we're doing more often than he's working on usually other things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you, so do you carry any sort of um, insurance or anything to back yourself on your development company? Like, does, does that development company carry like general liability, business insurance, anything like yeah, that? Yeah. So I'll carry a general liability, but then I'm also uh, policy. Like I'm, a, I'm a attached to each individual property underneath his builder insurance policy. Oh, so yeah, he additionally insures you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Nice. Yeah. No, I think that's a great model, and what I see like for both ways, like if, you know, I doubt there's a lot of slow time, you know, for you guys and what he's got going, he's probably built it up good enough now, but there's always that fear of the slow time. And if you have a project going where he can shift people back to or stay on, you know, it's like, Oh whew, man, this, this one saved me. I'm giving him cost. And in the end I get a shot at the profits. So it gives him a little bit of uh, kind of like being the investor also. Which I give him cool consistency, thing. you know, like every yeah. general contractor that has a company, a building company, again, he has to keep his guys working. Otherwise they're not getting paid. And then he could lose his guys and now he doesn't have a business. So I can tell you the consistency of the deals that we do gives him, uh, gives him comfort that, okay, I know I'll always have something going on. Huh. Yeah, that's cool. And that's, I mean, for us, our number one goal is to keep, you know, the people that we work with are essentially all subcontractors, right? We have one person that's more the lead, but we're still in control of the whole project. And, and um, you know, our goal is always just to keep them busy. So we're always giving them other people that want work. Well, Brandon, why don't we go into that? Because like, so fee for service, again, that I don't think Bob and I really do fee for service, either of us. Why? And Bob, you know, fee for service is like a fixed bid, right? Where Bob says, hey, you know what, uh, Jim, I want you to build this house. Here's all the specs and the plans, bid it out. And he comes back and he says, okay, Bob, it'll be a hundred grand. And Bob says, great, let's go to contract on a hundred grand. And then Bob, uh, Bob then has him build it out. But Jim, <laughs> this is where it gets sticky is Jim says, okay, Bob, no, no problem. And then all of a sudden one day Jim realizes, you know what, uh, this is going to cost me 110 grand. And Bob says, well, we went to contract at 100, so you needed to keep it at 100. Now you're going over. Grand, what do you, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, that fee for service? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I think it's such a thing where they say it to get the job almost, and then you know it's going over, right? And so it's just kind of like, oh, and then they want the contingency put in there. It's like the contingency is going to get eaten up every time. If you have a number out there for a contingency, you instantly start thinking, oh, I'll still a little bit from there. I'll still a little bit from there. And so... That's what I have a hard time with, with the fee for services, because then they have the, all, all contractors like, well, I got to make a profit. You know, it's like, well, you're paying your people. You're getting paid. You're probably a, an hourly employee of your own company, too. But the company's got to make a profit. So it's like, oh, cool. So you get 20 percent profit. Then I start asking, you know, what is that profit? I'm going to drive you down, you know, in your profit because I want to make more profit. So that's a negotiable thing for me. You know, and well, and it's a never yeah. ending battle. I mean, yeah. you can just hear it in your in your conversation there. It's like that's why I don't like fee for service, because yeah. there's always going to be jealousy because at the end of the day, he's going to be jealous because they know what you sell these properties for. They probably know yeah. what you buy it for. 
because uh, in Minnesota they can you can look it up. It's it's public record, so they're going to be able to put the number, reverse the numbers, and say, "Wow, you made that, and I made this." No way. And then that creates a tendency for them to want to fudge the numbers or their tendency to want to have a bigger contingency plan or a tendency to say, well, it went over. You're going to need to pay it. And then all of a sudden you have to get attorneys involved because you're battling because people are getting worked up that it's not fair. And and I think that's one of the biggest things for me in being a, in, a, in having a partnership is that I found that it was the right way to be fair, where everybody could look at it and say, you know what? We're in this together. We started it together. We finished it together and we made the same profit together. So like, it's fair. Now you might be in my situation, the builder might say, well, yeah, but I have more hours than you, but then I could say, well, yeah, but I have more risk than you because I'm the one with the line of credit. I'm the one with, cause he doesn't every once in a while there are exceptions, but most of the time I'm the one putting the cash in the deal. He doesn't have cash into the deal. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So I'm putting yeah. the 20% down. I'm the one going to the bank getting the financing. Again, in certain instances, he has brought some in, but I would say generally speaking, that's how we've been doing most of our deals is that I bring everything, he brings the building. So he has more time in it, but I have more risk into it. Right. I think you're kind of like an evolved approach, like looking at yours, like fee for service. It's like, you know, you realize you didn't want to go down this path because you didn't want to be a contractor and but you still needed you know a good partnership with somebody um and, and segueing that back you know into what i do i think that like i'm probably you know because i'm more predominantly and not the kind of ground up construction type thing we're more in the like the remodel where we can control like a lot of those projects and we're just kind of hitting on the new construction world and thinking like okay this is going to be an avenue of the future um but kind of, you know, realizing that maybe that could be an approach down the road, you know, for us to be able to do. Great, so, let them know, okay, how do you structure yeah. your, your business? Because yeah. yours is so, pretty dynamic, so let yeah. them know. So ours basically, like, when we have, let's just take, like, a rehab project, you know, we have, um, we have our project manager who's paid, right, through us. So because I realize I can't manage, you know, 10 projects. I'm just not that person. My brother's not that person. So we needed a person who could manage projects so we could scale with that. So that's an employee, right? So under our company, you know, our company, Grand Real Estate Investments, we hold a developer contractor license. And in, um, in my state, you know, you can be a contractor, um, but they also give you the ability to have a developer's license, just basically saying you work on your own projects. You're not out there working for a front-end customer, which is kind of what you do. That's kind of how you sit, and you, that's why you can say you're a developer, because you are, and that's what a developer means. But it gives you that layer of protection, and I don't have to go through and now anymore do the continuing education for contractor stuff because they know I'm hiring other contractors. You know, they're all supposed to be, but I can't hire employees, right? So they're just not supposed to be swinging the hammer on the project, right? So I'm more the professional management group um, where our project manager designer goes in, does that, and works with, you know, the site contractors and stuff. So she's managing the overall project, paid employee. Now on site, you know, we have usually like the lead, the person that's taking, you know, the whole project on. Um, and they're just like, they're hourly, they, we pay them hourly, basically time and materials, right? So we pay for all materials and we pay And they're for independent time. contractors paid on a 1099, right? Yeah, all independent contractors paid on a 1099. And to be honest, like I would not hire contractors like onto my company to be like paid employees when they can just have a contractor's license, they can have their own insurance and everything like that. And I can always just keep them there because there's a lot that goes into like having an employee and dealing with all the wages and everything. And 
like the insurance and all that, workers' comp and all that stuff. It, it's costly. You know, it's not, it's not free to have an employee. Um, so, you know, the, the contractor we have, and so he'd be like our site GC, right? So the site general contractor will be there. And it's just, it's time and materials. And I really like, like, my favorite thing is, like, the guys that are, like, the really good, like, almost like the handyman that have evolved and they're, like, going to the next level, you know, where they were just kind of doing little projects everywhere, but then they get a kitchen remodel, then they get this, and then they start doing house remodeling and stuff like that. And so those are my bread and butter. Like, when I can lock into people like that, I really like them because they're really realistic. They're used to working, you know, for an hourly cost. And, you know, I bear the risk of time, right? So, like, on a site, if they run into an issue, you know, it's, and it's taking more time, we're there to see, because we kind of know how long things should be taking, but we'll be there and he'll be like, I know it's taking longer than expected. We hit this and this and this hurdle. And I'm okay with that as long as there's honesty and everything, you know, involved in the process. But I'm trying to like, you know, plan it all out, knowing how much time it takes for, you know, him to do all that work. Um, but also like to make sure that it's within my budget that I had built out for it. So the, well, and don't the, you ever get concerned? Yeah. I mean, because one of the things that you you can walk around a job site, we've been walking around job sites for quite a while, and there's a lot of guys sitting on lunch pails or yeah. taking extra long <laughs> breaks or getting caught up on their phone. I mean, that's kind of like the subcontractor mindset. I mean, when you're trying to control people's time, how do you how do you do that knowing that like every minute, every hour they're working, you're paying? Yeah, it's it's a trust factor, I think. You know, like uh, we've gotten rid of people that don't work out like that. And it's that testing that we talked about in the previous episode um, where I go through and test them on small things and realize that they're not wasting time. But there's always that risk, right? Down the road, they might have a bad week and just be like something going on in their life. Instead of telling me they shouldn't be at work, they are just showing up and they're just checked out, you know. So there's always that risk. Um, our fixed costs, though, you know, our fixed people are always plumbing, you know, electrical, uh, HVAC you know, insulation, we, they don't do everything, but they're more like, you know, in cabinets, that's another fixed cost. But that site person just kind of like managing that whole project all the way through, doing all the pickup work, doing all the odds and ends, laying in like, you know, just like this, the, the, the luxury vinyl plank flooring, all that type of stuff, where you can really easily kind of judge what it's gonna cost like per hour and kind of roll that through. Um, I'm not saying that will probably work forever. You know, I, it, I think it works really well on, the entry level homes that we work on, right? And that's our bread and butter where you're like that million dollar guy and building these big, beautiful homes. I'm that entry level guy. And that's right now in my investment world, you know, that's kind of where, um, you know, my comfort. So Grandel, let's go into the, um, why don't you, just cause I think this is a very important decision and why I don't become a general contractor or have my general contractor license. What, why don't you want to have someone on your, like, an employee underneath your umbrella as a business why don't i want to have someone as an employee like that's basically yeah why the keep them as a 10, 1099 contract well cost you know so then i'm a yeah well yeah i mean like when you look at like in, a, in an, an employee like you have uh you know employer taxes you have liability insurance you know for them workers comp insurance like all these things like you, you when you have like i think like say you're paying somebody 20 dollars an hour well, it's, it's another like $3 an hour to keep them as an employee. Those are just your taxes, payroll taxes, all that stuff. And so there's a lot of, yeah. So I like the, so what I really like is the ability to use that person's time. But, and I'm, my goal is to keep them as busy as possible. But if I ever hit a, a lag period, I don't want to bear like a sinkhole, you know, of, of money just going out every single month 
why I'm looking for the next project. Because, you know, we, we'd stack up three projects and then there might be a lull, right? And then we stack up three projects and there's a lull. And that's just kind of how the evolution of our business is going as we grow it. And so that's kind of, for me, it's kind of like a stopgap. So I can control my costs, you know, and I can keep things rolling, but I don't have to bear the cost of four. Because there's four guys that pretty much work for us, like, all the time. And it's going great right now, you know, because we have the apartments that they're kind of working on those things. And, you know, they can come and they can do the framing on that. And so we put them on that, you know, when we have a little bit of lag time. But, you know, because like with any project, you got the phases and there's somebody else, like on one of our projects, the electrician's working this week. Well, they can't work there with the electrician. So they're on another project. And so that's the goal is just to keep them kind of going down the road and doing that. Um, but there's no guarantees for them, right? So if I say, hey, man, it's like really dead this week because we're in a lull between projects, I don't have to guarantee they're 40 hours, right? They're not going to go file for unemployment. So that's why I like that model. And that's why I wouldn't have a whole bunch of um, people kind of like as employees, you know, right now. Who, who knows? You know, I, I, I'm kind of like we're deciding, you know, do we down the road, would we be that model? Like we're, we're just a construction company that we can bear our at cost for our own projects and work for other people. So, I mean, like or, that's so. that you kind of leading right into what I was going to ask you, because you're kind of at that fork in the road. And I think as you go maybe another year or two, you're going to look at it and you're, that's where you're going to make that decision because it's like, okay, do I now take on that liability of, of employees or do I go like maybe more of what I have which is more of like a partnership developer and I'm more hardcore like developer investor than I am even a builder. What do you think will help you make that decision? Because for me, it was, I didn't want to be a builder. Like I want nothing to do with managing guys, subcontractors, or having to build anything or deal with the city and all those different defined things that builders have to do. That's why I've never jumped in it. The only way I would ever jump in it is if I found someone that said, hey, I don't want to run this business, but I will be the GC and now we can own this company together. But again, then you got to get married. And that's like, for me, I just don't know if I want to ever get married to anybody because that's a very difficult concept. And getting divorced in in a business partnership, I've done it. And it's uh, it's messy and it's complicated and it just doesn't ever go well. So that's why I've always tried to keep it separate. But what do you think is going to make that decision for you as you move into the next two, three years? I, I think type of project is going to really do that. Like so, and, and that's kind of where I'm looking to the future. Like I'm crushing the, the single family entry level market. And I'll probably always be doing that, right? Um, but it's like, I want to start doing bigger things. That's kind of the evolution of an investor, right? And so I was like, and I keep thinking, you know, right now I'm bidding out my duplex project um, that I'm working on. And that's a keep for us. We're going to hold it, you know, but it's like, you know, now it's like, well, am I going to, are we going to completely manage this thing in house or down the road? How's that going to look? You know, so, so I could see that evolution happening because we want to start doing knockdown infill development, you know, um, because our area is finally supporting that, right? Home prices are getting really high. They've just switched zoning to make it really easy to be able to do that in the state of Oregon. So it's like, there's a huge opportunity, right? So now it's like, well, we can still project manage, right? Like we can still be doing that because we want to watch everything we're doing and keep our numbers in check. But we might need, you know, like a person that just exactly like you're saying that we potentially split profit with profit share or something like that to control those costs. And and I think, you know, probably for me, like the biggest thing has been trust, right? Building that up over time. And I've been burned a few times just as you have. And so I'm very hesitant to partner with a contractor. And they've asked, you know, it's like people are like, hey, I want to work with you this and that because we start giving them business really makes a lot of sense. They're like, yeah, let's keep this going. And then, you know, the, the one contractor then like six months later is Gonzo, you know, like nowhere to be heard of. I get the notice that his, because I track all their CCBs, 
uh, he no longer has an, an active license because he got popped on something, you know, and you're like, so he just runs, you know, instead of dealing with the issue, he just runs away, probably moves states, you know, and goes, gets a contractor's license over there. So, and then like, if we we're partnered, right, you know, I'd be left holding the bag. If I were like part owner in that company, I'd be left holding that bag and I'd be left holding their bad, you know, their bad work and everything and dealing with it. And so I like the idea of what you're talking about doing that. Because I still like, you know, if I build something new construction and I sell it, I would bear that risk, right? So I, if it's a, in Oregon, it's only a one year, you know, so that's kind of nice. But, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, thinking like how, as you grow, which path do you go? And, and the other thing too, like what would lead me towards your path is um, expansion, right? Different areas. Like I was thinking about that as you were talking, I was like, well, you know, with Tim's model, I could find a really good contractor, like, uh, you know, in Southern Oregon and be doing projects down there because I know it's another good area or Bend, Oregon, because that's a really good area. And we could still, you know, um, manage. And we're, what we're really good at is running the numbers, managing it, you know, uh, working with the banks, getting just like you're doing. You know, it's like there's a skill set in handling all that stuff all the time. And so that could be worth it, you know, and you could do more projects. Well, another thing so, is like, like I have full, I have a full time admin. So yeah. like yeah. Yeah. he does, he has a part time admin. So my full time admin essentially is partially his admin. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, right. so I have really a lot of the business structure as far as like dealing with the client. So like she manages the client. He doesn't have, he has to deal with the client in certain instances. But then like the design team, I'm the one that put that whole design team together and the whole concept of the design team, which now, and the reason I did it was for him because I go, you just need to focus on building. I don't want you to have to focus on all these other little details and these other decisions and have to worry about, hey, you need to go here and here and here. And and when I implemented that, he's like, oh my gosh, that's awesome, you know? And so it's like, I've added all these little things to make his life easier. And, and, you know, and that's when he's like, God, you know, like, we, we, we look at each other a lot and say, you know what, man, we just make a really good team because we're willing yeah. to just do the right thing, you know, and just make decisions and, and be willing to, you know, a win, try to create a win-win as much as possible. And I think, you know, that's a relationship thing. And I'm a huge believer in relationships, but it's also hard to build relationships and you got to start someplace. And I think what you're doing is yeah. kind of what I was doing. I did a lot of independent contractor stuff. Um, yeah with smaller subs where I was like my own GC because I can GC my own project. I can be a project manager without having my general contractor license because it's my property. So I did that for a while and I would do that 1099 and I would do all that. But I just realized, God, I'm spending so much time managing that when I just don't want to, if I can get past that and just do what I want to do, like that's how you scale. And that's why I got to the point that I'm at. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point, you know, and that's actually where I keep thinking to the future, you know, right now, you know, as you sit in like a place like Hawaii, you're like, well, can we manage stuff from here? And we have to have a really good, you know, site GC. And the guy like, you know, that I talked about in the, in the video, like I could actually see him just completely being that. And that's just giving him the keys and being like, let's let's profit share. You get this project done. Let's do that. And let's start building that relationship like that. And I think he'd 100% do it. And I trust him now, you know, because he's looking out for my best interests when we're not there. He's managing those things. So it's it's always that growth thing that you have to go through. And, and I think it's good to keep giving people those tests and ensuring that they can manage it and doing that. And, you know, and I have no problem, you know, uh, managing the, the back end of everything. And like, because uh, we could blow but up somebody's business. But it all comes down to opportunity like saying, cost. So, it's yeah. always, always, always the question you have to be asking yourself is, what is my, what could I be doing that could create a higher return on my time 
relative to what I'm doing right now that might be not as high of a return on time. And that's always the question I'm asking myself because yeah, I can sit here and say, oh man, look at, he made as much as I did when I could have made this. But the fact of the matter is, is I'm also doing three other things that he can't do because he's managing the build because he's got to do that and put his time into that. And I don't have to put my time into that. And so it's opportunity cost, I guess, is the biggest lesson for me, and I've said it last, you know, the last couple episodes, but you always have to look at your time. Return on time is huge because you can do other things. Like maybe I can go find a commercial, another commercial deal that I can invest in. I'm spending my time finding that with the profits that I'm going to make off this transaction. And so that I think, uh, if there's anything I would say to you, Grando, it's like, just always keep your finger on that opportunity cost and your return on time because yeah maybe you made a good chunk here but how much time did it take and then when you really break it down did you really make as much or more than you could have made doing something else and that's the that's the big question of when you guys are thinking about structuring your relationship with your contractor focus on your return on time but then also focus on how you want to have that relationship because a fee for service neither bob and i love it because it, it causes the most friction. An employee situation can be great, but I would tell you that I feel like it brings on a lot of liability, which Bob talked about. And then the partnership, you know what? The partnership for me is great. I wish I could make more profit on every deal because I'm giving 50% of the profit away. You know, sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow, but my return on time, because I can use my time doing something else while I have my builder doing the work to build the structure, I've come to the conclusion that for me, that just seems like the right fit. And obviously I've created a relationship where I can actually execute it as well. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it comes back to. You created the relationship and that's exactly what I'm elite, I'm you know saying is I'm working to create those relationships so I can keep having that trust because you're not gonna trust somebody. You're, you're crazy to think if you're gonna go buy a house in Arizona and you live in Oregon and you're just gonna call up some contractors and be like, oh, I got one. Yeah, he's gonna go out there and bid it out. Great. All right, go, bro. This is gonna work out awesome. And, and think that that's gonna be a successful model you know, without really knowing them, looking into them, being like able to contact them and, and start building that relationship because they don't have a relationship with you. So they could drop you in a second, you know, and until there's that connection formed or they feel obligated to you, that's when you can start really kind of starting to grow. So please, anybody don't go out and just buy a house in some other location and try to do that. So work locally, maybe to start and build a relationship to understand how it goes. And it's like Tim and I are you know, doing so. <laughs> Grando, I know I don't want to suck up too much of your time. I know you got to get on the beach, buddy. And again, I really appreciate uh, your time. And for all of you guys that are listening to our podcast, we appreciate you more than you will ever know. And if there's any way that we can bring more value, or if there's a topic that you guys want to uh, learn more about, hit us up on our or join us on our private Facebook group. Uh, and you can do that through the valuedriveninvestor.com where you can sign up there and then you can join our private Facebook group. And we hope to get more and more questions and answer more and more questions about, you know, being a real estate investor and all the million different things that go, go into it. But Grando, man, I hope you enjoy Hawaii and, uh, and we'll talk soon. I'll be doing that. Take care. Thanks, Tim. See you, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Value Driven Investor Podcast, where we lead by giving. For more information about our community and what's new, visit valuedriveninvestor.com.
The Value Driven Investor Podcast was produced by Digital Legend Media in Minneapolis. Build your legend. DigitalLegendMedia.com.